Welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Our text today comes from Acts 13 and 14, and it covers some of the events of Paul's first missionary journey that set out from Antioch between AD 47 and 48. Barnabas and John Mark accompanied Paul on this journey. John Mark, like Barnabas, was a well-known figure in the early church. In fact, last week we learned that the church in Jerusalem prayed at his mother's house, and Paul reveals in Colossians 4 verse 10 that John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. It is believed that he also acted as Peter's interpreter from time to time, and many scholars believe that John Mark likely wrote the Gospel of Mark, especially since that Gospel, written to Gentiles, is thought to be largely based on Peter's preaching. Acts 13 verse 1 gives us a glimpse into the leadership of the church in Antioch. In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. From the very beginning, church leadership was diverse, drawing people from many different backgrounds and countries. And as we've seen, Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus. Simeon Niger was also Jewish, but because his second name, Niger, is an African name, some have thought that perhaps he might have been the Simon from Cyrene who had been forced to carry the Lord's cross part of the way to Calvary. Lucius was a North African, as Luke clearly states that he did come from Cyrene. Perhaps the most interesting of those who are mentioned here is Menaean. Luke tells us that he had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This particular Herod was Herod Antipas, who had executed John the Baptist during the time of Jesus' ministry. The Greek language used here emphasizes that Menaean quite literally was one who ate with Herod, so he had been very close to him indeed. What a remarkable transformation God must have brought about in Menaean, though, taking him from Herod's table to the Lord's. The last member of the leadership group mentioned is Saul or Paul, and we remember that he was both a Roman citizen and a Jew. More than that, he had come from a strict pharisaical background. What a diverse group this was, and yet, because of their faith in Jesus, they came together in one accord to worship. We learn that it was when they were seeking the Lord through fasting and prayer that the Holy Spirit spoke to them, telling them to separate Barnabas and Saul for a special task that he'd called them to. 
Notice how these leaders continue to fast and pray before finally laying hands on the two in order to send them off on their missionary journey, just showing us their continual dependence on the Holy Spirit in all that they did. Their missionary journey would take them to the island of Cyprus and on to the Roman provinces of Lycia and Galatia, which are both found in modern-day Turkey. Verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Luke makes it very clear that though the church in Antioch was involved, it was really the Holy Spirit who sent them out, and leaving from the port of Seleucia, which wasn't far from Antioch, they set sail for Salamis, a port city on the eastern side of the island of Cyprus. At this point in their journey, Barnabas is mentioned first, revealing him to be the leader of their group. And so it's not surprising that they began their journey by sailing to Cyprus. Remember, Barnabas was from that island, and so it makes sense he would want to share the gospel with his own people first. Luke also reveals that at this point John Mark was with them as their assistant and upon their arrival in Cyprus they immediately began sharing the good news of Jesus with all those who attended the local synagogues. Verse 6. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. The small band of believers travelled the whole length of the island, preaching as they went, until they arrived in the capital city of Paphos. The governor of Cyprus, a man named Sergius Paulus, was stationed there. The Romans were a superstitious people who followed many false gods, and although Luke reveals the governor to be an intelligent man, he had among his advisers a fortune teller and magician, as was the custom of the time. This sorcerer was called Bar-Jesus, which means a child of Jesus, but his real name was Elymas, an Arabic word for sorcerer or skillful one. 
Indeed, Elemis was skillful in the way that he manipulated and influenced the governor. For as soon as the governor sent for Barnabas and Paul, Elemis began to work against them, trying to keep the proconsul from the faith. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, challenged Elemis, and making a play on his name, Bar-Jesus, or child of Jesus, Paul declared him to really be a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. He confronted Elymas's deceit directly, warning that because the hand of God was against him, he would suffer the consequences. And in a moment, the spiritually blind sorcerer was struck physically blind. When the governor saw Elymas helplessly groping around, needing someone to lead him by the hand, it convinced him to believe in the message that Paul preached. You know, as I thought about the scene, I marveled at how similar it was to Paul's own experience of temporary blindness so long ago. That event had brought Paul to repentance, and though we don't know the eventual outcome for Elymas, one can only hope the same was true for him. Their time in Paphos seemed to cement Paul as the new leader of the group, and Luke notes the change in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Paul is now listed first, not Barnabas, and from this point on in the book, he will also be called Paul and not Saul. Luke also tells us that John Mark leaves them at Perga to return to Jerusalem. We do not know the reason for his sudden departure, but we do know that this caused a significant rift in John Mark's relationship with Paul. Later in Acts 15 verse 37 to 38, when Barnabas wanted to include John Mark on another missionary journey, Paul so firmly opposed the idea that Paul and Barnabas ended up parting ways for a time. It's comforting to me to know that there were disagreements and tension even amongst those of the early church, but they worked to resolve their differences and so should we. Paul and Barnabas moved northward from Perga to yet another city by the name of Antioch. This one, however, was in the Roman province of Sidia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Verse 14, from Perga they went on to Sidian Antioch. On the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. One of the most amazing things about Luke's account is how often he passes over heroism with just a simple sentence. Sidian Antioch was on a high plateau, and to get there, this small group of travellers would have had to cross a range of mountains by one of the most difficult roads in the whole Roman Empire. Not only did this journey involve a grueling climb, 
but bands of cutthroat robbers patrolled the length of the road. Perhaps that's why John Mark had been unwilling to go. But Paul and his group went anyway, depending on the strength and protection of the Holy Spirit. Having safely arrived in Sidian Antioch, they immediately made their way to the synagogue and Paul was happy to accept their invitation to bring a message of encouragement to the people. Luke records Paul's exact message to them in verse 16 onwards and this is actually an extremely important passage of scripture as it's the only sermon of Paul's that's recorded in its entirety. Verse 16, standing up Paul motioned with his hand and said fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God listen to me the God of the people of Israel chose our fathers he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power he led them out of that country he endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert he overthrew seven nations in Canaan giving them their land to his people as their inheritance. So much like Peter did in Acts chapter 2, Paul began by outlining Israel's history, emphasizing that in all these things God had been working according to his plan to prepare mankind for the freedom that would be available to them in Christ. He pointed out that Abraham had been chosen by God and that when they lived in Egypt, it was the Lord who had prospered them and delivered them when they were enslaved. God had lovingly endured their disobedience in the desert when his people continually grumbled and rebelled against him. It was only because of his mercy that they were eventually brought into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. So during the time of the judges, God's people wandered from him again. They wanted to be like the other nations around them, so they rejected God's authority and demanded an earthly king. At that time, God told his prophet Samuel in Samuel 8 verse 7, to listen to all the people were saying to him. And he encouraged Samuel, saying, It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Eventually, God removed King Saul from office and appointed David in his place. Unlike Saul, David was a man after God's own heart. He was far from perfect, but when God challenged him, he was quick to repent of his sins. And the Lord promised to David that one of his descendants would be the Messiah, the anointed one of God who would lead God's people eternally. 
In his sermon, Paul clearly stated that Jesus was this promised one who had come from David's descendants. And then he continues, Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The Old Testament foretold that the Messiah would be preceded by a prophet of God who would prepare the way for him. And according to Isaiah 40 verse 3, that prophet would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Paul was declaring that John the Baptist was that prophet, and he reminded his audience of John the Baptist's teaching that he himself was not the Messiah, but rather the preparer. The one who would come after him was the one who had been made known by the prophets of the Old Testament. Paul continued then in verse 26, Brothers, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. In condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Paul assured them that he was bringing God's message of salvation to them. However, those in Jerusalem and the Jewish religious leaders had not recognized Jesus as the promised one when he came. Instead, they condemned him to die, fulfilling the very words of the prophets that were read in their meetings every Sabbath. He had been crucified and sealed in a tomb, but on the third day he was raised up from the dead and appeared to many of his followers. Paul and other disciples were now his witnesses, bringing the good news that God's promises to his people had indeed been fulfilled. Paul then proves that Christ's resurrection actually fulfilled Old Testament prophecies because the promises that were made to David of an eternal descendant could not have been fulfilled by David personally. As it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. 
He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Paul's audience here were still largely Jewish, and they knew about these promises in Scripture. However, we as Gentiles may struggle to understand them at first. Paul quoted several scriptures from the Old Testament to prove that God had promised to raise his eternal king from the dead. He began by quoting Psalm 2 verse 7, You are my son, today I have become your father. If you were to read Psalm 2 completely, it becomes clear that God promised to raise his chosen one from the dead to prove his sonship and to bless all those who put their trust in him. In Psalm 16 verse 10, which also contains messianic prophecy, God promised that his Holy One, the Messiah, would not see decay. These promises couldn't have applied to David because, as they well knew, after David had completed the work that God had for him, he died and was buried, and his body returned to dust. It was Jesus Christ who had risen from the dead, whose body did not see decay. And it is through him that we receive forgiveness for sin, for his blood is able to justify us before God the Father. No matter how closely a person follows the law of Moses, we all stumble at one point or another. As James tells us in James 2 verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. However, all those who have put their trust in Christ can say, I'm able to stand before God just as if I'd never sinned because of the blood of Jesus Christ who died for me. Mankind could never be fully justified by the law of Moses. It is only through the shed blood of Christ the Lamb that we can be forgiven and reconciled to our Heavenly Father. Paul cared enough for his Jewish brothers and sisters to caution them about something they knew well from the Old Testament. From the book of Habakkuk, he said in verse 40, Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am doing something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. The coming of Christ was good news to those who would believe, but for the scoffers who rejected God's message, it was bad news indeed. Their unbelief would be judged. They would perish. Paul's final words warned his Jewish audience that something they would not imagine was about to happen, that Jews would be excluded from God's family and the Gentiles would be brought into it. 
As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Amazingly, the apostles were invited to speak again the next Sabbath, and many of the Jews and Gentiles who'd listened to Paul's first message followed the disciples in order to continue the conversation. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city turned up to hear their preaching, and trouble began to brew because Luke discloses that the Jews were overcome with envy at the interest the crowd showed in the apostles' preaching, and so they began to loudly speak against Paul's message. This only seemed to make Paul and Barnabas bolder until they finally declared that since the Jews apparently believed themselves unworthy of eternal life, Paul and his companions would preach the message of salvation to the Gentiles instead, just as God had commanded them to. And you might wonder what the Gentiles' response was. Look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The great blessing was that the Gentiles believed in great numbers and they responded to the message of salvation just as God had planned. And the word of God began to spread through the whole region, but the Jews continued to stir up trouble and even managed to have the missionaries expelled from their region. Not that that bothered Paul and his companions, Far from being discouraged, they just shook the dust off their feet to show that they were separating themselves from those who opposed them. And they went on to the city of Iconium with hearts filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and 
Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. As was their custom, Paul and Barnabas immediately presented themselves at the synagogue where they preached so effectively that many believed. However, once again, certain Jews opposed them and began to poison the minds of the Gentiles against their message. But Paul and Barnabas stayed there a good while, spreading the truth with boldness. And God confirmed the truth of their message with signs and wonders that caused many to believe. In response, though, a certain group of Jews and Gentiles, together with their leaders, decided to stone the disciples. However, Paul and his companions were warned of the plot and were able to flee to the next cities of Lystra and Derbe, where they continued to preach the gospel message. Throughout their journey so far, we've seen Paul and Barnabas bravely take the gospel even into the most difficult situations. They have repeatedly faced opposition and yet they've continued to preach the truth about Jesus and his resurrection without compromise. And we do really well to learn from their example. Everything we undertake is to be with a great reliance on prayer and the Holy Spirit. We are also to lovingly spread the good news of Jesus, even when it comes at great cost to ourselves. When we're rejected and our message falls on deaf ears, as it sometimes will, we should not be discouraged, but rather we're to look with joy to the next opportunity that God will give us, just as Paul and Barnabas did. As Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.